This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah 15, looking tonight at verses 1 through 21. Jeremiah 15, hear the word of God. Then the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when they ask you, where shall we go, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord, the sword to kill, the dogs to tear, and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem, or who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward, so I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I'm weary of relenting. I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I have bereaved them. I have destroyed my people. They did not turn from their ways. I have made their widows more in number than the sand of the seas. I have brought against the mothers of young men a destroyer at noonday. I have made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. She who bore seven has grown feeble. She has fainted away. Her son went down while it was yet day. She has been shamed and disgraced. And the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, Have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. O Lord, You know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return 
I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these words tonight. And uh, thank you for Jeremiah. Uh, Father certainly endured much anguish, both outwardly and inwardly. And we pray, Father, that as we study your word tonight, that we would profit by the sufferings of this prophet. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said, Jeremiah has the name, the weeping prophet, because of the miseries that he endured, both outwardly in the circumstances of his day, as well as inwardly. And Jeremiah, unlike many of the prophets or even other writers of Scripture, is not reluctant to give voice to what was going on on the inside. You know, if that had blogs back then, Jeremiah would have had the weeping prophet dot net or whatever, and you could read how afflicted he was and how unhappy he was. Didn't have blogs, of course, so here it is, uh, here in the pages of Scripture. There are these kinds of passages through Jeremiah that are uh, known as a, as a group, as the confessions of Jeremiah, where he really does just bare his soul before the Lord. You find them in various chapters, including here. And these, these chapters have been compared, these, these passages compared to uh, the dramatic uh, device known as the soliloquy. You know, when you have a stage play, uh, you're somewhat limited in terms of an actor being able to communicate what they're thinking. An author, of course, writing, you have, you have pages of just the ruminations going on in the head of the narrator or the character, whatever it might be. Well, the way that's handled on stage, of course, is to have the soliloquy where other actors either leave the stage or are silent on stage or perhaps even freeze. And then one actor is able essentially to think aloud, give voice to his thoughts. He's speaking, but what he's saying is basically the thinking of his mind, uh, what's going on in his head. And so we, the audience, are able to hear uh, his thoughts, as it were. Of course, the most famous of these uh, was in Shakespeare's Hamlet, the to be or not to be soliloquy. By the way, what was Hamlet contemplating? Do you know? To be, you've heard that, to be or not to be, what was he contemplating? Suicide. Yeah, the words to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing them in them to die, to sleep, to be, to live, or not to be, to, to commit suicide. That's what he's wrestling with, agonizing over. And, of course, it's, it's spoken so that we can participate and hear that contemplation going on. Well... Like Hamlet, Jeremiah also questions the value of his own existence. 
Uh, he says in verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. A rather poignant and painful thought for Mother's Day, isn't it? That he considers it woe to him, a misery, judgment to him, that his mother even gave birth to him because of what he has become, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. Jeremiah, in this passage, expresses his frustration with the Lord. He expresses here his disappointment with God. Maybe you felt that way. God didn't act when you wanted him to act. Or maybe God did not act in the time or in the way that you thought he should. And if you're honest with yourself, you acknowledge frustration. You admit a measure of disappointment that God did not come through for you in the way that you thought he should. Well, Jeremiah certainly felt that way, and he did not shrink back from saying so, from telling God about it, telling us about it. And as we look at this passage, you find that his disappointment with God falls into three areas, or three specifics that, uh, that really bother him. First of all, and this is a very common one, certainly for Jeremiah, but also for us today, his, his disappointment that God did not answer his prayers, that God did not answer his prayers. And really, the first 14 verses are taken up with this, and they go back to chapter 14 um, in verse 19. Uh, you know, and the Lord had said to him, don't pray, don't pray for these people. I'm not going to get, don't pray. But Jeremiah, what else could he do? He continued to pray. And in verses, uh, in chapter 14, verses 19 through 22, uh, he, he, he prays this, this powerful prayer. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there's no healing? We look for peace. No good came. I'm of healing, but behold, terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. You know, he's even praying the way Moses prayed. Remember what happened when God was going to destroy the people, and Moses prays and says, Lord, what will the nations think? You know, here you brought them out, and they'll say, well, he couldn't do any more for them, so he destroyed them out here in the wilderness. And Moses prays on the basis of God's reputation. For his name's sake. And that's, that's what Jeremiah does here. Uh, you know, we want people to see how great you are. We want people to see your, your power, your glory, your, your mercy. We, we want people to see your covenant. Verse 21. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. He acknowledges the, the fact God's the only true God. Verse 22. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. What a prayer. You know, praying for God's glory, praying on the basis of God's covenant, praying on the basis of God's mercy, acknowledging God is the only God. How does God answer his prayer? As he pours out his heart, pours out his soul, not for himself, but for his people, for the reputation and glory of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Wow. Jeremiah, who do you think you are? 
even if Moses himself interceded for these people. I wouldn't really. And Moses had interceded for God's people, and he did. But now, after Jeremiah pours his soul out again and again, God says, look, Jeremiah, you could have Moses standing here praying. I wouldn't change my mind. You could have Samuel standing here praying for these people. Two of these giants of Old Testament history. Men, men Jeremiah would have looked at and looked up to and respected the way that we do as we read about them in the Scripture. Of course, they came long before Jeremiah's time, but he knew of them, read of them, had the same opinion of them that you do and I do. It would be like God coming to you, saying, you know, look, even if Moses prayed, I, I wouldn't answer. So God says no to Jeremiah's prayer, and he says it emphatically. He doesn't just say no, stop praying, but he goes on and on to, in, in all these ways of saying no. No, even if Moses and Samuel were doing the asking. And instead, he promises judgment. Look at verse 2. When they ask, where shall we go? You say to them, thus says the Lord. Those who are for pestilence to pestilence, those who are for the sword to the sword, for the famine to famine, those who are for captivity to captivity. So he promises judgment, death, starvation, captivity. He says he'll destroy them four different ways. Look at verse 3. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers. The sword and dogs and birds and beasts. Not only so, but he will make them international pariahs, outcasts. Look at verses 4 and 5. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Manasseh, of course, reigned for many years, for decades, and he was a, a wicked, vile king. He was corrupt. He, uh, he, he really played up to Assyria for protection. He uh, instituted all kinds of pagan, ungodly worship. Curiously, he did repent toward the end of his life. And yet, by that point, it was too late. God had determined that uh, the end would come, that enough was enough. And so because of him, God is going to make them, it says, a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. In verse 5, along with that, who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? In other words, the earth's opinions, the, the, the opinion of the nations around them will basically be good riddance. Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? Nobody will care. They'll be glad to see you wiped out. God's tired of relenting. Verse 6, you have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I'm weary of relenting. I've turned back. All I'm going to turn back. Another metaphor, verse 6, or verse 7 rather, he will winnow them like grain. I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I've bereaved them. I've destroyed my people. They did not turn from their ways. You know the, the picture well where you take the grain and uh, having crushed it out, you toss it in the air, and the heavier grain falls back to the ground, but the husks blow off with the wind so that eventually you have just the grain there available for the collecting. Well, God says, I'm going to winnow them in that way. Families will be destroyed and scattered, verse 8 and 9. Uh, very sad picture. I've made their widows more in number than the sand of the seas. Uh, the multiplication, not of the people of God, but of widows among the people of God who will become like the sand on the, on the seashore. 
I've brought against the mothers of young men a destroyer. I've made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. She who has borne seven has grown feeble. She has fainted away. Uh, either a picture of her strength to give birth to seven, seven children, uh, or uh, the picture of having seven children, or perhaps seven sons, being strength for her, protection for her future, and yet she has fainted away. She's grown feeble. Her son went down while it was yet day, probably a reference to the death of her children. Her son, um, of course in Hebrew it's not a pun, a son and the son, uh, it doesn't work that way in, in Hebrew, different word. But the point is, it would be like in the middle of the day, the sun went out. She had these these seven children, these seven sons, and thinks everything is bright and good, and, and all of a sudden they're gone. And it's like the light has gone out. She has been shamed and disgraced, and the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. And there will be no resisting it. Look at verse 12. Can one break iron, iron from the north? In bronze, you know, don't even think you're somehow going to withstand this assault uh, of iron. Probably a reference to the military might of Babylon and their strength, iron and bronze. Uh, your wealth, treasures, I will give a spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I'll make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. How's that for saying no to your prayer, Jeremiah? Wow. Well, God did tell him not to keep praying for them. And he did. And God says no as emphatically as he possibly can. A couple of important lessons here uh, as we look at that. One, because this is a common source of disappointment for God, that we pray for something. We pray for something good. We pray for something not selfish, but outside ourselves, something that will glorify God, something that seems like a good thing, and God does not do what we think he should. We need to know this lesson that, as we see here, God doesn't always give even very godly people what they ask for. I mean, Jeremiah was a man of God, both in terms of his character, but also in terms of his calling. And he pleads with, with every cell in his body for God to act in mercy. That's his name. And we should learn from that, that even very godly people experience God saying no in answer to our most heartfelt requests. The second lesson that we learn here, and this is, of course, moving far ahead in the Scriptures, um, that only the prayers of Christ are sufficient to stand in the gap to spare us from judgment. Not Jeremiah, not Moses, not Samuel. Because Christ brings more than his prayers. Christ brings the sacrifice that atones for sin. We need Christ as our intercessor, not even Moses, not even Samuel. But we see here with Jeremiah that, that even the most godly, even the most choice of God's people experience God saying no to their prayers. We're not alone doesn't mean God has rejected you. It just means God answers prayers according to his purposes, according to his counsel. And uh, even the best know what it is to have what we sometimes call unanswered prayer, although perhaps more accurately to say God has answered at least no for the time being. So that's the first source of Jeremiah's disappointment and a common one today. 
God did not answer his prayers. Second, God sent him suffering that he didn't see himself as deserving. Now, we experience that too. We know what it is to experience pain, to experience things in life, and, you know, we think, why? What did I ever do to deserve that? Yes, you know, theologically, I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. But, Lord, is there something I've done? I don't see anything in my life. You know, I try to follow you, try to live for you, and yet here I am suffering. Well, look at verse 10. You see this in verse 10. See it in verse 15. Jeremiah, after pronouncing this woe upon himself, uh, he says, I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Now, he looks specifically at the, the realm of money. I, I didn't lend money to somebody. I haven't borrowed money from somebody and not paid them back. And yet they curse me. Basically, he's saying, I'm a good guy, and yet people hate me. I'm trying to do the right thing, and people curse me. He was publicly enemy, public enemy number one, and it seems so unfair because he's the, he's the man who tries to do what's right. And he also, along these same lines in verse 15, was upset because he knew, God knew about his situation, but wasn't doing anything. Look at the first part of verse 15. Lord, you know, you know that can be a, a source of great comfort to the Christian. Oh, Lord, you know. You know, just to, to know that God is aware, that God knows what my situation. But that can also be a source of great difficulty to the Christian. You know, Lord, you know. So why are you letting this go on? Why are you letting this happen? Why don't you do something? And that's not a light thing. When you think of the kind of unspeakable horrors that people suffer in this world, you think, why doesn't God act? Why does he let that kind of thing go on? You know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Not only does God know a situation, but he sort of, points it back at God, the end of verse 15. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. He's kind of in a backhanded way saying, Lord, I'm suffering this for you. And you know it. And yet you allow this kind of thing to continue to go on. And so that's another source, a common source of disappointment with God. This feeling like we're suffering things we don't deserve. And we see that. We've discussed with a Christian couple who has a child with an illness that's fatal and won't live. On the other hand, you have people who have children who don't want them, don't care for them, treat them badly. You think, well, God, why would a Christian couple be denied the life of this child? And, you know, people in the next room in the hospital have a baby they don't want and don't plan to do much for. Why, God? That's the kind of thing, suffering, that he didn't deserve. But there's a third thing, third area here where where Jeremiah is disappointed with God. And it's kind of the reverse of the second. You know, we we feel like we're we're experiencing misery we don't deserve. On the other hand, the flip side of that is disappointment when we feel like we're not getting the reward or the credit that we see ourselves as deserving. Uh, Look at verse 16. Jeremiah loved God's word. 
Your words were found, and I ate them. You remember the dictum of Francis Bacon when he said some books are to be tasted, some books are to be chewed, and others are to be thoroughly digested and swallowed. Commenting, you know, just passing acquaintance with some books is good, but with other books you may want to spend more time. There are some books that you just need to spend so much time in, they become part of you. And of course, God's Word, the Bible, is that book above all others that we should meditate in day and night, that, that it just becomes a part of us. That it was, as it was said of Charles Spurgeon, you would prick him and he would bleed Bible. It was so much a part of him, it was in him. Well, that's what Jeremiah says. Your words were found and I ate them. I chewed them up, swallowed them, and thoroughly digested them. Your words became to me a joy. It wasn't a chore. It was something I, I delighted in, the delight of my heart. He loved God's word. Not only that, he was called by God's name. Again, verse 16, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. They're certainly known to God as his own, but also known to people as a man of God, a man belonging to God. He loved God's word. He's called by God's name. He lived by God's law. Look at verse 17. I didn't go out partying. It's a mild paraphrase. I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. Oh, no, Friday night, Saturday night, I was home alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. In other words, that, that carousing life was not appealing. It, it, it made him indignant. And so he often would be alone. He wouldn't be out in the company of the, the revelers, the partiers. Why? Because he didn't want that. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to live a chaste life, a sober life, a godly life. And so he said, I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you'd filled me with indignation. You see, he loved God's word. He was known by God's name. He, he lived by God's law. What did it get him? Nothing. Verse 18. Why is my pain unceasing? Why is my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You see, Jeremiah felt like he deserved better than what he's getting because of the way he lived. And uh, Phil Riken has an absolutely excellent insight on this verse, his commentary on it. He says in this verse, and, and with that sentiment that he deserved better, he moves from righteousness to self-righteousness. And look at what that leads to. In the verse 18, will you be, and this really in a sense is the heart of the passage, will you be to me, O God, like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? You know, like the mirage you see, you see water, it looks refreshing, you go to it, and it's nothing. Or you know that there's a creek or there's a brook that has water, and you go to it, and it's dried up. It disappoints. It lets you down. And that really is at the heart of the passage. This is the heart of what Jeremiah is thinking. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? You you claim to be living water, but there's nothing there. Have you ever felt that way? 
Jeremiah did. That's a very dangerous place to be. Think of God as a deceitful brook. Was Jeremiah justified in his disappointment? Does he have a case? God doesn't answer his prayer on behalf of the people. He's suffering all these things he doesn't see himself as deserving. And in fact, he lives in a very commendable way and does not seem to get any acknowledgement or recognition or reward for that. Does he have a case? You've perhaps been somewhere where Jeremiah is, and you feel very much like you do. But whether it's Jeremiah or you or me, the answer is no. Jeremiah had no case whatsoever. And in fact, God responds in verses 19 through 21. And he basically has two messages for Jeremiah in his disappointment with God. First, repent. God calls on Jeremiah to repent. Look at verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you will return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, like calling God a deceitful brook, waters that fail, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. Don't become like these people. You stand, you preach. First thing he does is call on Jeremiah to repent. Because the things Jeremiah is thinking are sinful. They're wrong. And remember, Jeremiah, while he is God's prophet, is still a sinner. He's still in need of God's grace. He's still in need of God's redemption. And he's still capable of sinning against God. And he does. And some of these things that he says here, God calls on him to repent. If you return to me which is the essence of repentance, to, to turn back instead of moving toward sin, to move toward God. If you return, I will restore you. You shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. But not only does he call him to repent, he calls him to remember. To remember. To remember what? To remember his promises. Verse. Look at verse... Um, 19, and I will, or or 20, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Does that sound familiar? It should. And it should have sounded familiar to Jeremiah, because if you go back to the very beginning of the book, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18. Jeremiah 1, 18, the Lord says, And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. What does God do? Calls on Jeremiah to repent. 
And then he calls on Jeremiah to remember his calling and to remember what God said. Nothing's happened to Jeremiah except what God said would happen. But also to remember God's promises that he would be with Jeremiah and Jeremiah would be able to stand. He may not feel like it sometimes, but he would be able to stand. And he simply repeats his promise here. I will make you like a fortified wall of bronze. Even though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you for the most magnificent promise in all of Scripture. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. And if that's true for Jeremiah and his ministry, how much more true is that for us in Christ who can look back on the the redemption that God accomplished for us? And so he says, Jeremiah, you need to repent of your sins and these, these wayward attitudes you have and your worthless words. And you need to remember my promises to you. You see, when we're discouraged, we don't need some new light. We need simply to go back to the promises. We don't need God to apologize to us. We need to go back to the promises of Scripture and know that God stands by them and he will fulfill them. He will keep them in his own time and in his own way. We need to remember that all God's promises to us are yea and amen in Christ. God says to Jeremiah, just two things, repent and remember what I told you. Remember what I promised you. So does God disappoint? Well, apparently, sometimes maybe, but in reality, no. Emphatically, no. In any apparent disappointment with God, the problem ultimately is not with God. It's with you. It's with me. We're in a hurry. We don't see the big picture. God isn't doing it the way that we, in our infinite wisdom, would have it done. And yet God's never in a hurry. God always sees the big picture. And God always acts with infinite and perfect wisdom, even when we don't see it. So when you're disappointed with God, or tempted to be disappointed with God, and acknowledge, you know, we acknowledge that sometimes that springs from some devastatingly heartrending circumstances, a terrible heartache, here's what you do. You repent of your sins. You remember God's promises. And you press on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jeremiah, uh, certainly uh, a prophet on the pages of Scripture, but because of his honesty, a very real human being, very real man to us, Lord, someone we identify with. But Father, we pray that you would increase our faith, We pray that you would strengthen our trust in you, that even where we do not understand, even where we may be hurting badly, that our confidence would be in you and that we would recognize, O God, that you are a brook of water, waters that never fail to us, that our confidence would be in you and our trust always because you are God. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are our salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.